Uh, I was asked by Rabbi Glebe to speak on the topic of Shabbat. So it got me thinking, and it made me think about Shabbat. Is it a day of, of rest or restriction? So when I reflect on growing up with Shabbat, uh, let me just ask uh, everyone in the crowd, how many of you grew up observing Shabbat? Hands in the air if you did. How many of you grew up observing the Shabbat in a non-Messianic environment? Bob Barrett? All right, we got three of us. Orthodox, anyone? Shomer Shabbos? All right, me and Bob. Now, for Bob and I, Bob, uh, growing up Shomer Shabbos, uh, but really truly for anyone here, did growing up observing the Shabbat feel like a day of rest or restriction as a kid? Thank you, right? Restriction. Does it still feel that way? Maybe, maybe not. Has it changed as you grew older? Maybe, maybe not. But what I do want to talk about, and although it is a little bit awkward, my mother being here, because she did do her best to give me a, a good Shabbat experience, but as she'll probably recognize now, there's a huge difference in how we observe Shabbat as a family um, years ago compared to how we observe it now. Um, I am uh, benefited with having recently written a paper on Shabbat, so uh, part of this sermon is actually uh, my paper, so um, that took care of at least, I'd say, about half of the writing, so praise God for that. Now, when I consider my experience as a child growing up in a Jewish family that observed the Shabbat, the word that comes to mind best that describes the experience is conflict. I felt this conflict because for me, Shabbat what was it? It was a 24-hour period where I couldn't do the things I wanted to do, and I had to do things I didn't want to do. I was told that Shabbat was a day of rest, but my favorite weekend leisure activities, television, video games, were prohibited. And instead of wearing comfortable clothes, I was told I had to dress up nice for services. Now, some of you might eventually see pictures of this, or maybe don't know this. My parents were a bit more lenient uh, until, what, age, like, three, four, I wore a complete sweatsuit and a cowboy hat to, to an orthodox shul. Um, so that was a, that's a, a thing to remember. And the pick, what? You choose your wars as a parent. Um, but uh, we got many looks, I'm sure, from that. Um, but eventually, of course, as I got older, I had to wear nice Shabbat clothes, right? And to add to that, my primary friendships uh, were with people at school who were not part of my Jewish community, which meant, of course, I couldn't spend time with them either during Shabbat. So the conflict continued as I got older. My family became less observant, and I learned how in the wider world of Judaism, there's much debate as to what it means to rest and whether or not this practice should be seen as a divine commandment in sacred text or just a valuable tradition of human invention. This conflict reached a new level when, as an adult, I became a Messianic Jew. Since our theology is intertwined with the Christian world, there are those who contemplate if Shabbat is done away with or fulfilled in Yeshua, causing it to be something we simply observe as part of our freedom in Messiah. And many are extremely negative towards the rabbis and their traditions that have developed as part of observing the Shabbat. Some maybe still think Sunday is the new Sabbath. If that's how you feel, well, then we have to have a different conversation. And as I consider issues such as the, the observance of Shabbat and the practice of rest, 
I find myself caught between clashing worlds that challenge me theologically, sociologically, and in my very identity. So let's begin by taking a look at the history and development of the practice of rest on Yom Shabbat within the traditional Jewish community. In order, that we, in order to do that, we must look at the origins of the commandment to rest on Shabbat. The Hebrew word Shabbat literally means rest. In Genesis 2-3, it says that God blessed the seventh day, Saturday in the Gregorian calendar, and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work. The seventh day is termed henceforth as Yom Shabbat, day of rest, and later referred to in the Ten Commandments. Consider the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11 states, Remember Yom Shabbat to keep it holy. You are to work six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Shabbat is a Shabbat to Adonai your God. In it you shall not do any work, not you, nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, nor the outsider that is within your gates. For in six days Adonai made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Thus Adonai blessed Yom Shabbat and made it holy. We see the commandment reiterated in Exodus 31, 14 through 15. Therefore you are to keep the Shabbat because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it will die. For whoever does any work during Shabbat, that soul will be cut off from the midst of his people. Work is to be done for six days, but on the seventh day is a Shabbat of complete rest. Holy to Adonai. And then Exodus 34.21 and Exodus 35.23 add some additional specifiers. During plowing time and harvest, you must rest. Work is to be done for six days, but the seventh day is a holy day for you, a Shabbat of complete rest to Adonai. Whoever does any work then will die. Do not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on Yom Shabbat. So we see here, in order to make Shabbat holy and achieve a complete rest that B'nai Yisrael are not to do any work. It can be concluded that the act of resting on Shabbat is dependent upon and achieved by not doing any work. The question that naturally follows this conclusion is, what is defined as work? The word work in the mentioned passages in Hebrew is melacha. Aside from Exodus 34.21b, which mentions plowing, harvesting, not very common to most of us, and 35.3 states to not kindle a fire. The Torah offers very little direct explanation or elaboration on what defines melacha or work. The writers of the Mishnah, the authoritative book on Jewish law, declared 39 specific acts of melacha that are prohibited on Shabbat. Here we go. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, Threshing, winnowing, sorting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, whitening it, combining it, dyeing it, spinning, weaving, making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying a knot, untying a knot, sewing two stitches, tearing for the purposes of sewing two stitches, hunting a deer, slaughtering it, skinning it, salting it, curing its hide, scraping it, cutting it, writing two letters, erasing for the purpose of writing two letters, building, demolishing, extinguishing a flame, lighting a flame, striking with a hammer, carrying from one domain to another. Now, why all those specific prohibitions? In Essential Judaism, Robinson comments that these prohibitions 
are actually based on the description of the building of the Ark of the Covenant found in the Torah. And he further divided the prohibitions into five categories. Agricultural work, making with clothing, working with clothing and fabric, working with leather or parchment, writing, construction work, and working with fire. This conclusion was made due to the proximity of the commandment to the descriptions for building the tabernacle, where the work that is described is also called melacha. Another idea in Jewish thought that contributed the, uh, to these decided prohibitions is that since God had rested from the melacha of creating in Genesis 2, the types of forbidden melacha would involve any type of work that involves creating. Samson Raphael Hirsch states that the melacha, which is forbidden on, on the Sabbath, is conceived as the execution of an intelligent purpose by the practical skill of man, or more generally, production, creation, transforming an object for human purposes, but not necessarily physical exertion. So it can also be implied as a general rule that one is prohibited from working their occupation and performing any labor that would be an act of providing for themselves or their family financially and provisionally. This is a practical reality due to the types of labors that are prohibited on Shabbat, as mentioned in the Mishnah. By doing this, a person is not only resting from work, but also declaring their reliance on God to provide for them financially and provisionally. The ESV Study Bible commentary notes that this pattern of resting on the seventh day and relying on God to provide had already been laid down in how B'nai Israel was to collect manna in Exodus 16, 22-26. The faith expectation was that the double portion would be provided prior to the seventh day so that the people could effectively rest on the seventh day. Even with these descriptions and categories, it can still be ambiguous, though, to know exactly what is prohibited on Shabbat in Jewish law. So we have the entire tractate Shabbat in the Talmud, as well as numerous sections in the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch that deal with further elaborations and clarifications in regards to the questions that arise from trying to observe this commandment. To take it a step further, Jewish law mandates that one should also put a fence around the Torah, as you've heard, and avoid engaging in any activities or handling any objects that one should that might lead to a person performing a forbidden act. This certainly applies to Shabbat observance. As a rule, anything that is forbidden to be used on the Sabbath is also forbidden to be handled. Such ob- objects are known as mukze. Okay. So behind the seemingly endless pursuit of trying to figure out what specific actions are allowed and what is prohibited on Shabbat based on the commandments of Scripture and the determinations of rabbinical authorities is a heart that is genuinely seeking to obey God and not transgress his Torah. But Jewish thinkers have recognized that you can actually obey Jewish law to the letter and not truly achieve a Shabbat rest. Donan, who wrote to be a, to be a Jew... And to pray as a Jew describes this dilemma accurately. Even when contemporary man doesn't actually go to his job, what does he do? He plays just as hard. He transfers the same tension, the same competitive spirit, the same frenzy, and the same pressure on his nervous system, which takes such a great toll of human life, from the business office to the ball field or the golf course, the highways of our land, to mowing the lawn and fixing the house. He thinks he's not working, but the mental and emotional and physical rest 
the tranquility of mind and soul that he doesn't have. Does this make you think of anybody that we know in our lives sometimes? Although avoiding the prohibitions laid down in the Torah and Jewish law are considered a priority, and they are meant to facilitate rest, Jewish thinkers recognize that rest is not achieved strictly through observance of commandments. Donin goes on to mention that the great scholar of Jerusalem, Shlomo Joseph Zavin, suggests that there are two types of rest. One is rest from weariness, also as a result of tiredness. Such rest is only to enable one to continue working. Though it brings relief and rest to the body, it does not bring joy to the soul. The second type of rest comes in the wake of completing some project, after reaching some goal. This type of rest comes at the completion of one's work, not as a rest during it. Here a man sits back and contemplates his achievement or his handiwork. This kind of rest is a delight to the soul. It brings a sense of release. It provides a deep satisfaction accompanied by a sense of peace and tranquility. The rest that the Sabbath day is intended to reflect is that second type. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have the first type. You should have the first type as well. But really, it should be both. It should, one should lead to the other. Now, in terms of specific activities that help to facilitate this type of rest, Dosik, state, uh, Dosik who wrote, because um, I'm referencing in a paper, he wrote, um, oh, darn it, he wrote, no, it's not down here, He wrote a really good book on Jewish observance. (laughs) Dosik states that Shabbat is to be a day of complete rest and relaxation for physical, mental, and spiritual rejuvenation, for refreshment of psyche and soul, time for spouse, children, parents, and friends, time for prayer, contemplations, and reflection, time for leisurely meals, meaningful conversations, and soul-filling renewal. Time for affirmation and celebration of the greatness and goodness of life. Time for God and time for myself. In this way, we see the Shabbat rest becomes less about action or lack of action, but more about a state of mind and existence in a spiritual and prophetic sense. The commandment is to rest, to the commandment to rest on Shabbat is also seen as God giving his people a foretaste of Olam Haba or the world to come and the messianic kingdom. And by engaging in the act of such rest now, we are bringing that future hope of a restored world and humanity into the present. The practice of rest in the observance of Shabbat is a central pillar of Jewish communal life. A traditional Orthodox perspective is highly focused on the proper observance of the commandment. And although it may seem overburdensome, it comes out of a desire to do what a Jew is called to do. Obey Adonai, our God. This type of observance is often accused of being legalistic. But our survey of Jewish commentary shows that at the heart of this intent to observe the commandment is a desire to achieve a holistic rest. A rest that not only seeks to honor God, but also receive his blessing by separating oneself from Olam Hazeh, or this world, now, and being given a taste of Olam Haba. Doesn't mean that everybody does it perfectly in the Orthodox community, but that is the heart behind it. Now, here's a more important question. So what should we do? Since we do not hold to a strictly Orthodox perspective, our little denomination of Messianic Judaism does not have a set of standards regarding Shabbat observance. 
it really feels like a free-for-all, do-whatever-you-want kind of approach to Shabbat. Although some subgroups within Messianic Judaism are trying or have already created standards of practice, such as the MJRC. Now let's be clear. We're not having a discussion about whether or not we should observe the Shabbat. If it has been done away with in Yeshua, we do not believe that it is our freedom in Messiah that gives us the right to observe a fulfilled Torah commandment and associated traditions. This perspective is not in line with our vision, values, and statement of faith as a congregation. We believe the Shabbat is an ongoing obligation that we seek to observe to the best of our ability, abiding in the traditional approaches laid down in Judaism. If you are a member here at Devar Etmim Messianic Synagogue, this should be an established understanding. And if it is not, then please talk to the elders and get clarification. Now, if we can move beyond that, and that now that this is out of the way, let's talk about and discuss what I see as the big issues in observing this commandment to rest and not work. What we do about the fact what we do about the fact that in traditional observance, what, okay, so what do we do about this fact that in traditional observance, actions that have been restricted may no longer be considered work. Spending money is fun and can be relaxing. Using electronics, such as watching television, is relaxing. Why are we restricting these things? Maybe you are thinking, I, have, I never have time to watch TV or go shopping during the week, and you want me to give up Saturday as an opportunity for these things? Heck to the no. That's how I relax and rest, Eric. Ease up on your legalism, buddy. Or maybe you're thinking, well, that's fine for you and your observance, but that's not how I observe the Shabbat. It was just this past weekend that I did discuss with one of the young adults, and um, hopefully they're not listening to this sermon online, um, but I had a discussion with one of the young adults. It's not meant to insult him, but he was visiting, and, and we were talking about using phones on Shabbat, and his response was, well, I believe that if you use these things for restful purposes, then it's okay. I decided not to challenge him in the moment, you know, wanted to be friendly uh, to these folks, and he's not a member of our community, so I don't hold him to any standard. But the response in my mind was, that's nice you have this opinion, but under whose or what authority are you submitting to in making that decision? Now, Scripture is clearly on the top of our authority list, so let's keep looking at what that says about observing the Shabbat. I've given a few examples so far, but let's take a look at just one more. Isaiah 58, uh, verses 13 through 14. And if you want to take a moment and open it up in your text, this is on page 438. Page 438, Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. It says here, If you turn back your foot from Shabbat, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call Shabbat a delight, the holy day of Adonai honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, not seeking your own pleasure, nor speaking your usual speech, then you will delight yourself in Adonai, and I will let you ride over the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your father Jacob, for the mouth of Adonai has spoken." Don't do your own pleasure. Don't go your own ways. 
Do not speak your usual speech. Now, did you recognize this one, this passage right here? It was actually added to the fourth edition of the Budaf Siddur as part of the Kiddush. Uh, I'm noticing this one. I now actually plan on making a point to read it whenever I lead services, since I do see it as perhaps the most important piece of scripture there is regarding Shabbat and our observance. I asked earlier, why should we abide in traditional observances? Well, for one, because these actions are still historically connected to work and represent work. This is not living in the past, but instead it connects us to our past. This is much like how we observe the tradition of not mixing milk and meat. It's not about observing a literal commandment. It's that we observe a tradition that reminds us of the commandment to not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, if I haven't sold you on the historical argument, then let me bring us back to Isaiah 58. Why should we abide in traditions such as not watching TV, using our smartphones excessively, going shopping, and others? Because they represent us pursuing our own desires. The wrong, I'm going to say it, the wrong things have become our pleasures. The wrong things have become our desires. It's not wrong to actually enjoy these things, but they should not be our delight. We need to be able to find pleasure and rest in our relaxation with God. We need to make Shabbat a delight and delight in the Shabbat, not try to make it a delight based on our own interests, desires, and pleasures. I guarantee you, if you resist your own desires on Shabbat and prioritize, as Dos, all the things Dosik mentioned, family, community, scripture, study, and prayer, I promise you, God will make these your pleasures. He will turn them into your desires. So, we are still left with the question of, well, what should this look like exactly? What should be our halakha? Should we be Shomer Shabbos and observe Orthodox, Reform, Messianic Sephardic Christian? That, that one's an inside joke, just so you know, within the family. That's the Rebison uh, Glebe's uh, halakha. And who should make these decisions about observances? It is my impression that most Jewish believers make decisions about observance on a personal level and would say that it is a decision between them and the Holy Spirit and influence and are influenced by their unique these are influenced then by their unique personal nuanced theological perspective. That's okay. But where many Messianic Jews make that the start of such decision-making, it should actually be at the end of your decision-making when it comes to Shabbat observance. Shabbat observance, and in general, this, this, scratch that. So, consider this. We also are submitted, then, to the vision and decisions of leadership. Basic observance should start on the community level. Those decisions are made by a senior rabbi at the guidance and in conjunction with Zechanim, and they are making those decisions based on being in alignment with a larger congregational or denominational movement, as well as the local community. Now, in case you didn't notice, we live in a close proximity with a very strong Orthodox Jewish community. So unfortunately, for those of us who are not big fans of a more strict traditional observance, 
That happens to be what other Jews in our community are doing to try and love and honor God and observe his mitzvot. So we should be doing this together. Observing God's Torah is not personal. It really is not. It is done first as a people, then as a community, then as family, and last as the individual. Unfortunately, it does seem like we experience the opposite. When we each make our own decisions about Shabbat, creating justifications in our mind for this, we are rejecting the value of community and the place of leadership. Too often we try to, we try to justify these activities on a theological basis when truly we are missing the point and the big picture of observing God's mitzvot. So I still haven't really answered the question, what should our Shabbat observance look like? Well, we're working on it. It's a work in progress. But as I mentioned, it should start at the community level and at the guidance of your congregational leadership. Now, how many of us have read Rabbi Glebe's pamphlet on Shabbat and used this as an authoritative starting point for our observance? Hopefully some of us. So why don't we start here? I think that's, I think that's a biblical and practical start. Let's start there, and then we can build upon that as a foundation. It's actually something that, that Rabbi Glebe, Rabbi Matthew, as well as myself, we're trying to work on. We're trying to come up and make some decisions about halakha within the community, because we're not, I mean, not going to be orthodox. We're kind of somewhere along the lines of conservative, but we are messianic. We are unique in that approach, and we're trying to get a little more specific. But this is a great starting point. And he also puts out materials that are helpful. He doesn't put it out for his own benefit, but for the benefit of the community. So let's start here. And although I only touched on it briefly, my goal in this sermon is to remind you of the passage in Isaiah 58, that we are to give up our own desires on Shabbat, to honor Shabbat, not going our own ways, not seeking our own pleasure, nor speaking our usual speech, and that we will delight in this. If we do this, God says, he will let you ride over the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your father Jacob, for the mouth of Adonai has spoken. I want that. So you see, there is blessing that will come from reprioritizing our lives for Shabbat. Our jobs, our desires, our activities, when we do that, we sanctify the day and make it holy. For that is what is meant to be, a holy day set aside, pointing us back to the, beginning, to the beginning of creation and causing us to look forward to the hope of the kingdom to come, giving us a taste of what that will be like. So let me close with a word of prayer. Lord God, I ask that you will make our Shabbat a delight, that you will give us wisdom in regards to what should be part of our Shabbat observance and what should not, that you will truly challenge us to make Shabbat a simple day of community and of scripture and of fellowship and of worship, and that we would have just tremendous delight in this, that we would have joy and not seek the things that are part of this world. Lord God, guide us in this. Um, just put it in the, on the mind of each individual to look first to leadership, look first to the community, look first outward before looking inward in terms of making decisions about Shabbat. 
And let us just do this together as a community, as families, and as individuals, so that it will be pleasing to you, O Lord. I pray this, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach.